Hi, my name is Ida. And my name is Deja. And welcome to Sad Girl Sunday. So, welcome to episode five of Sad Girl Sunday. In this week's episode, we'll be talking all about interracial relationships. But before getting into the topic, like always, we're just going to do a quick check-in. So, Deja, how was your week? Uh, My week is going well. Honestly, I mean, it's been a little chaotic. My family, or not my whole family, but some of my family is here to visit, and I think it's kind of hard finding space, kind of like what you were saying, like space between, you know, wanting to spend time with your family and doing all that stuff, but also like trying to find time to work and needing that very much, you know, personal time for yourself where you can just like veg out. And so I think it's kind of draining sometimes to like always be in the host mentality Mm. Uh, but the nice thing about my family is that they kind of respect those boundaries and they are very kind of like accommodating to that but Mm -hmm. it's also hard because like I live in an enlarged studio so there's not a lot of like differentiation between where the kitchen ends and the living room starts and the dining Mm. room that's why like sometimes you gotta like be in the closet when we're exactly yeah (laughs) one time we all because everybody's working from home so I had a meeting my mom also is like working remotely while she's here my sister is also like taking classes while she's here so we each were in like different parts of my apartment like I was in the closet just like (laughs) yeah no keep going Mm -hmm, that makes sense Mm. (laughs) no that makes sense that's fair too I feel like you know anytime like you are kind of the dominant big fish in your space and you kind of introduce some kind of change it's always a struggle it's always Mm -hmm. like oh now I have to kind of get used to like maybe some of my furniture being rearranged or the cup that I always put at this table is not in the exact same spot that I left it in because there's somebody here that's like doing that without you know intentionally trying to like annoy me exactly exactly (laughs) so you like obviously also just living by yourself you're used to things being a certain way because you like it that way and you always put it back that way or just whatever Mm -hmm. and so like I'll go into my bathroom and like the toilet seat will be up or like things like that and I'm like what is this (laughs) (laughs) why why are we doing this Mm -hmm. no that's fair um I feel like this week what happened this week um I got a little bit more work done with school I started to like catch up on all that but Mm -hmm. still not the same flow as fall semester I decided that you know I even though I might not get like a bad grade instead of messing up my 4.0 GPA I submitted one of my classes to be counted as like a pass fail instead of like a regular like weighted like course and I've never done that before, but I'm like, I just, I want to take advantage of this if I can, because what other time in grad school, I learned that I could do that last semester too, towards <laughs> the end of the semester, but I'm glad I didn't because I did well. But um, I was like, I have to like be very honest with myself. I'm like, girl, you are not gonna 
get that A plus in this class. <laughs> and that's okay. And it's okay to use like the pass fail like option for that class if I need to. Yeah, yeah I, I signed up for that. And I feel like really, I feel a lot better. Like, I think there was so much stress because I wanted to maintain a 4.0 GPA. And I just like, okay, like you don't have to have an A in every single class, it's fine. Which is like so dumb, but it's also like, it is kind of a big deal in grad school. I don't know if it's like this in every program, but I learned that in my program, if you don't pass like with a B, you have to retake that class again. Like you, you, yeah, they, they do not let people graduate or move forward if they get a C in, in their classes. Because you have to kind of come out like being an expert in whatever, you know, you're studying. Whatever that class is, whatever that topic is, yeah. Yeah, and so it's like very serious. I don't, I don't know if this is the case at all the programs at all. And then I also realized, I was like, oh, this is kind of a like the program I'm in is like a very competitive program and I just never really paid attention to that when I was applying for it because like it was just something I was looking at for I was just paying attention to the finances and so I was like (laughs) this is like kind of a cutthroat thing because I don't know if every grad school program has that kind of rule um but also I think that's not gonna be an issue I'll have to deal with anytime soon, hopefully. But yeah, this week has been good overall. Um, and yeah, hopefully next week is the same. Well, that's good. I'm glad your week went well. And honestly, I mean, I don't, in terms of the grading thing, I, I don't even know if that was like the, the rules or whatever in my grad school program. Mm. I was like very checked out in that program. I did well, but <laughs> like it's not like you had to, yeah. Yeah, like I wasn't like being like, okay, what do I need to get in order? And they never expressed that either. So I don't know. That could have been a rule. I just was like, well, not no aware of. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But I just see that's a common thing. I mean, I guess it makes sense though, because for grad school programs, especially like you said, it's one, super competitive, but two, they expect you to come out of these programs as essentially, like you said, experts in the topic, in the area. So in order to make sure that you're understanding everything, you, you need better pass well. that class. Exactly. Right. No, so, yeah, 100%. Well, I'm glad that you have like really put put your self-care and your like <laughs> mental self-care first. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's so funny. Um, Deanne said this to you and she's like you know it's okay to be average right and I was like my <laughs> <laughs> chuckle at that I'm yeah. like oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay right. to be average no yeah but. I was like what and she's like yeah no, it's absolutely okay to be average and I was like what is she talking about but I honestly after sitting with it for some time I'm like there are definitely things where it's okay to just mm-hmm. be okay at you yeah know? I definitely feel like there's a lot of areas in my life where I'm like definitely like it's whatever I don't care if I don't get this right but then there's a f- other areas where I'm like I need to make sure this is 100% the way I want it to be or else I'm gonna kill everyone but no it doesn't have to be that way I don't need to add that uh, unnecessary stress unnecessary stress yes exactly mm-hmm. but well I like I said I'm glad that things are going better and you're kind of putting your self first especially in the academic sphere I think more people need to do that so thanks Um, (laughs) but moving on so last week we discussed monogamy polygamy and everything in between 
but in today's episode, we are talking all about interracial relationships, the fetishization of features, and the role colorism plays in preference. And I think we both want to really thank everybody who gave us all of these amazing suggestions from like wanting to discuss extraterrestrials to skincare (laughs) and beauty products in the POC community to like personal hygiene. We got a bunch of varying topics and I think that it'll be so great for the episodes in the future. Yeah. So please stay tuned. We will be getting to those because they were amazing. No, absolutely. Like it was also fun. It was kind of a fun way to engage with you guys and the people who are like really like listening to us every week. We love you. We appreciate (laughs) you. Our 12 to 18 listeners. (laughs) All 10 of you guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so moving on, uh, regarding the topic of interracial dating and marriage, uh, just to quickly kind of define what that is, interracial marriage traditionally is a form of marriage involving spouses who belong to different races or racialized ethnicities. And in the past, such marriages were outlawed in the United States, Nazi Germany, and the apartheid era of South Africa and it was considered miscegenation. And so miscegenation, it's such a funky little word, but um, basically it's the cohabitation, sexual relations, marriage or interbreeding involving persons of different races, especially in historical context as a transgression of the law. And so basically, yeah, it was illegal for people to associate with other races in certain parts of the world at certain time periods. Yeah, just like the the loving case, I think it was where like the yeah um that they were like one of the first interracial couples yeah, in the United yeah. States. They were pivotal in trying to get interracial rights and allowing individuals to be together, and it was beautiful. And they there was a movie too. I never saw the movie, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't see good. it either. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was good. Um, but I mean, delving into the topic a little bit more, I think it's important to talk about, you know, what are the pros of being in interracial relationships, friendships, marriage, dating, all of that good stuff. And so some of the things we found was that engaging in interracial dating and relationships and communities is an act of showing that you accept that these things are the way that they are. You know, you acknowledge that there's room and space for others and for you and your identity to mesh and match with others of differing identities and I think I kind of looked upon one of the articles that spoke about you know the pros and cons of being an interracial relationship one of the pros was really that like you open yourself to learning about new perspectives and you gain such an in-depth perspective of the joys and the struggles and all that exists within a different culture kind of beyond the stereotypical food and outward differing of lifestyle and appearances. Um, So that's a really beautiful benefit of being in an interracial relationship. And even going off of that, your partner can teach you about their experiences within their own racial community, kind of giving you the opportunity to see the world from somebody else's eyes and somebody else's viewpoint. And not everyone really has a chance to get that kind of exposure, you know, into those inside worlds of other races and how they feel and how society impacts them in all of the different ways. And I think it's also important to talk about how you get to kind of escape your own ideological viewpoint when you're in these interracial relationships, friendships, communities, 
Because when you enter into an interracial relationship, you may see the world differently than before and, you know, loosen your expectations of what love and relationships are quote unquote supposed to look like, allowing yourself to be open to all types of relationships, you know, expanding the homogeny of friend groups into incorporating more interracial or more multiracial friends, even incorporating those in the LGBTQ community. I think when you accept that others outside of your race um, have a lot to offer or that you like no longer have these stringent views of that like kind of quote unquote white picket fence ideology of what relationships and all of that stuff is supposed to look like mm. you end up freeing yourself to meeting a whole host of different individuals and that is beautiful and I mean lastly you kind of just open yourself up to the challenge of changing the status quo and breaking away from these ideological relationships and I mean like we, like in any relationship, I think above right. all, one of the pros of being in any relationship is that you get the privilege of loving someone and having someone love you. And that's beautiful. Right. Absolutely. I definitely feel and um, can relate to the fourth point of escaping from your own ideological viewpoint that you mentioned, <laughs> just because even if you're not like romantically involved with somebody of another ethnic background or race, that is a huge benefit of like being able to have traveled, to have friends from all over the world, mm -hmm. to just have the the insight understanding of someone's worldview outside of like your you know traditional like background. Yeah. And I think it is it and it can be a very beautiful thing when you kind of expand that into like romantic relationships as well. Um, but there there are also cons to interracial mm -hmm. dating. It's not all you know roses and daisies um sometimes people don't think you are together because you're you're not of the same ethnic background or race other times couples may require more work than you're used to because you guys don't really have a common foundation or understanding of one another's backgrounds um and also like outside of just race, like if you're even dating, uh, you know, from, from different ethnic backgrounds, um, you have to kind of adjust to some of the linguistic and language differences and language barrier. That's like a huge additional factor to kind of add when thinking about like how communication is always something that people struggle with when they're in a relationship with someone who already speaks the same language as them. <laughs> so it's just like, keep that in mind if you know, you're out here dating them foreigns, you know? But um, when people also like kind of make backhand comments about your significant other's race, you kind of have to like catch yourself in those awkward moments and test your character of like, you know, what kind of person you're gonna be when you hear family members kind of saying very nasty remarks about your partner mm -hmm. or vice versa you might have your partner's family talking about you and if you've never dealt with anything like that before it can be very challenging and testing having to and it's also the same like having to deal with jokes about your race people trying to guess like your partner's ethnicity because they're not sure like oh if you potentially like say if you're a black person dating this so maybe someone who's not black they might question oh maybe they are half black a quarter black like mm -hmm. trying to make sense in their head of why that you know you'd be dating one another in the first place um you might also even deal with 
other people hitting on your partner because they're not aware of you and your partner being together. And if you do move forward in the relationship and get past all of those things, and you end up having a family and kids together, your kids might struggle with identity issues, not being able to successfully like fit into one or one culture or the other, depending, you know, it, it can create so many conflicts with kids. And sometimes people might not believe that your kids are your kids if they look mm-hmm. very different from you. Oh, there are so many incidents of like, um, you know, I, I, I've heard at least so many stories of like parents getting questioned at the park or at airports when they're traveling yep. with their children who may be like lighter than them or darker than them. And it's kind of, it can be heartbreaking in those moments because it's like you, you birth and raised this child. And now like you have to defend the fact that like you're, you're, you know, their actual parent. Um, and yeah, that also can lead to harassment in public. And you, you also may learn that your relationship is so much more than what anyone else thinks, but um, no one else might be able to kind of see that. So th- those are some of the things that just keep in mind that like you're, you might have to deal with that if you engage and choose to move forward in interracial dating. Um, and like when we kind of like move even deeper into the world of interracial dating and marriage, a huge potential con is the fetishization in relation to interracial dating. Mm-hmm. And so a fetish is usually like in the kink world, the definition of fetish is an object or bodily part whose real or fantasized presence is psychologically necessary for sexual gratification. And that is an object of fixation to the extent that it may interfere with complete sexual expression. And so this is something that obviously can really interfere and be harmful in regards to interracial dating for many reasons. Yeah, and I think it's important, like you were saying, when we discuss the topic of interracial dating, um, one thing that may run across the mind of either partner is this idea of, am I being fetishized? Are they in this relationship genuinely because they love me and care for me and see me in all of these lights? Or is it, you know, some kind of conquest? And we know specifically with the Black community, there is this um, kind of hyper-sexualized and overly promiscuous ideology that they have about Black women. So, you know, even that being like, is this why this person is with me? And I'm sure there are Black women who have had that experience where people kind of come at them crazy, even in online dating. I know that world in and of itself is a totally other topic, but people will really slide into your DMs with like, oh, you know, like I only date Black girls or this, that, and the other. And so, I mean, fetishization, it honestly removes people from their humanity and forces them into a box. These like stereotypical, you know, well, Asian women are docile or Black women are sexually charged or, you know, Black people or all of these other assumptions that people make that are one, wrong, or two, just hurtful. It is extremely damaging. And I know there's this very real want for individuals to have a quote unquote mixed baby like this 
idealization of what that would be like so there's it's Mm. just very weird and complex and I think that it can be if you don't know the reasons why this person's getting into a relationship with you these are definitely things that might cross your mind you know if you're only dating someone for their heritage or features you should really challenge whether or not you actually like that person you know your partner just filling in a box for you are you even dating that person because you like them so I think that dating outside of your race should not necessarily be like a personality trait you know when people are like oh yeah well I only date insert race here and it's like "Mm." I don't think that that is essentially a good thing at times because why you know like why is that has every person from every other race treated you otherwise you know, I just think that that like phrases like that are extremely limiting. I think you can have reasons as to have preferences like, oh, you know, I prefer this than that. But to be like, oh, I'm only mixing this race or like, oh, I only pursue this race. I think that in my own personal opinion is a little problematic. A lot. No. Of yeah, absolutely. Like that's like with anything that you have like kind of an extreme stance on. But like when you fetishize an individual you you pull them away from their identity as like they're multi they are a multifaceted person mm-hmm. and when you fetishize them for one characteristic whether it's physical or internal you rip them apart from their whole identity mm-hmm. and and um this happens like in many other ways but um we're gonna kind of like push the idea of fetishization a little bit deeper and talk about how within interracial relationships, colorism, texturism, and featureism um, kind of play a role in interracial dating in kind of a toxic way. You know, you can fetishize someone for being more fair-skinned. Um, you can fetishize someone to for having like more loose curls or straighter hair, or you can even fetishize like people who have more Eurocentric facial features, like having a slimmer nose instead of a broader nose, having maybe like not as full lips, you know, all of those things kind of play into the role of fetishization. And when we speak specifically on the experience of Black people, a majority of Black men marry within their race but one out of four black men who get married tend to marry outside of their race and there are also more unmarried black women than black men so when we kind of step back and question like why is it the case like why why is it the case that we have this phenomenon at least like specifically in the united states i don't know if this applies you know, outside of the U.S. or the uh, the Americas, but um, historically in the United States, like white womanhood has been placed on a pedestal in society, um, and in the society we live in, whether or not we like to admit it, beauty is a commodity, and and so being closer to a white beauty standard or ideal gives you more access to a higher status, to better resources. And so this is kind of why, you know, women who tend to have, you know, more Eurocentric features, even if they're not traditionally white, uh, they, they 
tend to be preferred within the pool of dating and marriage. And um, it's also kind of why Black men have this trend of uh, dating outside of their race more than their Black female counterparts, because there is a benefit regarding status, at least in a symbolic way. And so moving on from that, when we try to think about what would be the solution to this problem, specifically related to Black people. Um, we pulled from a book called Is Marriage for White People, written by Ralph Richard Banks, who is currently a professor at Stanford, and he is a Harvard Law alumni. And he kind of mentions how Black men are far more likely than Black women to marry outside of their race and more likely to get married, period. And so he asks, is it time for Black women to expand their search for love? Uh, and he is speaking regard, in regards to dating Black men. And um, he, he was able to kind of like pull up some statistics regarding higher achieving women and how they're more likely to kind of marry lower achieving men. And this applies not only to Black women, this is just in general, like women who tend to have like more degrees or a higher level of education, uh, they, they also do have a tendency if they are married to marry men who have uh, maybe lower income or lower quality of education or lower uh, educational uh, experience. And, and then mean, when, sorry, I'm go sorry, ahead. Saying, no, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting because he says this not as like a slight, but more so based on just like what, what it is. Because yeah. he's, I mean, one of the things he mentions is uh, now in the present day society, more women are going and getting higher education or going, or mm. going and getting those terminal degrees and things. So it's not necessarily like, oh, women are settling, but it's more so there is a huge pool of extremely highly educated women and the proportion of men who are in that same pool it's is not the same not the same yeah so more like you have to if you choose to be in a relationship and get married and all of that sometimes you might have to be in a relationship with someone who does not have the same right education it's just kind of what's available it has nothing to exactly. do with like people having a preference it's the reality of the world we live in there's just more women in the world and there are just more women generally who are college educated or have a higher degree of education um so um he he also talks about uh professor richard banks talks about how more than half of college-educated Black wives have a less educated husband. And so 50% of college-educated Black women don't get married. And let me tell you, when David and I were doing our research, um, I kind of held my breath for a second. I was no, like, my jaw oh. dropped when he said this, like in that. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and it's not to say that like oh if you want to get married don't go to college because i mean i mean honestly i i mean technically that that could make sense but it's like kind of a regressive way of dealing with this this fact you know like we have to ask ourselves like are we settling and 
the moral research we did we learned it's kind of it's kind of a structural problem mm-hmm. more than like a preferential problem and i and i think in our culture in our dialogue like even outside of this podcast if like you kind of like look at other talk shows or people who talk about interracial dating or talk about women who are in a certain status or achieving like higher income salaries and things um there's always a language of like women of those positions kind of being a little bit more stuck up but it's like that narrative and that language is a result of the circumstances that we live in which is the fact that there are just ain't a lot of people out here <laughs> that we can marry in the first place. Um, and so because of those economic and structural challenges that influence our dialogue and our culture, um, you know, we know like for a fact that black men face higher incarceration rates, uh, black men are less likely to attend school for a lot of structural like, you know, barriers that exist in our country. Um, and because of that, Black women have a smaller available pool of men to date within their own community, which yeah. kind of plays into the reason why 50% of Black women aren't really getting married. Exactly. And I mean, on top of that, he's just saying that Black women are less likely to date outside of their race as is. So compounding the fact that Black women are less likely to date outside of the race and the fact that there's a smaller available pool of men to date within their community, within the Black community, that's like I just said, that leads to that 50% of unmarried Black college-educated women. And so he goes on to talk about how only 10% of Black women choose to date interracially. And that in, in contrast, Black men are actually two to three times more likely to date outside of their race. And so it's kind of based off of this ideology that Black women have are socialized to stay loyal to dating Black men. And he is saying this not to just throw this out here and be like, oh, that's why, but it actually has roots um, within the civil rights movement, applying pressure on Black women for sustaining the families, for sustaining the fam- familial structure of the Black family, for carrying that weight on their back, you know? And so it's funny because he kind of argues that in fact, like why should black women date outside their race? You know, like why would we do that? Well, by considering interracial dating, black women actually bolster the marriage of African-Americans. And he breaks it down like this because the group of black women is scarce, the group more dominant or the group that we typically tend to go after are the black men, they have the power, they have the choice. And that's why black men are dating outside the race even more. You know, when men are in short supply, they can kind of dictate the kind of relationships that occur. That's not to say that black men are like out here in these streets, but it's just saying purely based on power dynamics. And there's- I can give like an example from personal experience. Oh yeah, okay, let's do that. We'll cut what I do So like- (laughs) Outside of, um, so I used to live overseas, and um, the place that I lived, um, I noticed had a higher population of men relative to women, mm-hmm. and um, there were people who compared their experiences of dating in this city to places like the United States or some places like in Asia where there's like, like if you think of the Philippines where there's like a large population of women relative to men, it's like virtually the opposite. And so in that scenario or that dynamic, um, in the place that I was living, uh, women had a wider selection pool. 
And what I noticed in the places that I was living before was those relationships between men and women looked um, more beneficial to the idea of what more women would kind of want in, in dating and in relationships. There were more people who were kind of dating for marriage or dating for longevity, not kind of just dating here and there. But when you kind of like, you know, think of maybe college campuses or universities, and if you think of maybe a school or college that has a wider pool of women and a smaller pool of men, which tends to be the case at a lot of universities today, um, the dating culture in those spaces tend to favor the kind of relationship and engagement that men prefer, which is very short-term relationship, um, lots of like flings, you know, nothing that's very serious or long lasting, like, especially when you think of like the idea or the ideal for young men, especially men in their early 20s. And so um, the uh, professor Richard Banks, he kind of uses this example to talk about how scarcity, uh, basically the group that is uh, is is in scarcity kind of has the power of choice. So if yeah. women are in scarcity, uh, women have more choice, obviously, because when we're talking about gender dynamics, like between like, and more obviously heterosexual dynamics, like we should have more research for people who don't identify like with one or one gender or the other. But um, a lot of the research is based on more heterosexual dynamics. And so he, he just says like, you know, because Black men are scarce, and especially in the United States, like the amount of available Black men due mm -hmm. to all these structural problems we mentioned before, they have a lot of choice um, because there are a lot more women for them to kind of and choose control, from. You know, it, over you know? how they choose to dictate the how the relationship goes, essentially. And so if we use that, as well as the compounded fact that um, Black women are more likely to stay loyal or um, to also date black men, you have a huge population of black women who are less likely to date outside of the race and a very small population of black men who can use this to their advantage knowing that like, she doesn't have a lot of options, you know? Um, and so one of the things he's saying, like the best thing a black woman can do to combat this phenomenon is to expand their own dating pool, you know, date outside of your race. And he's saying this, and it's kind of funny because it's like, it's essentially a very feminist argument. He's like, essentially in a heteronormative, like a heterosexual relationship, they would treat you better if they right. knew you could leave. Yeah. You know? In that like black male, black female relationship when you have a large population of women and a very small population of men, they know you don't have a lot of options. So there's a lot of, for lack of a better word, fuckery that can occur because they're like, look, you have to put up with the bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if they knew that you were like, okay, well, screw you. I'm going to go off to somebody else. They, that might curtail them. And that's not, look, there are assholes out there that are just going to treat you any which way. And that's on them and point blank period. But it's definitely an interesting argument that he makes because he kind of says like, well, if you want to be treated better, essentially what you have to do is fight that power dynamic by increasing your pool of people that you are willing to date and it's going against this idea of like you know staying loyal to the black right. man because he's essentially saying why are you staying loyal to this because you're only going to continue to perpetuate this 
Right. And it's like, there's no guarantee that that is being reciprocated. Obviously, the, st the statistics show that the level of, of loyalty or, I don't know, like, to the race is not matched amongst men when compared to women yes. and their dating experiences. Yeah. And so it's just looking completely at the facts and the numbers, it makes more sense to give yourself I mean, according to this this research from uh, the professor Richard Banks, it makes more sense to give yourself as Black women choice, choice yeah. and choice by saying no to options that don't fit your needs and <laughs> serve you. <laughs> right? Hello. Yeah. So, but I, oh, sorry. Say what you're saying. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, but I think it's also important because, like we're sitting here saying all this and you know I, I really do love this kind of feminist like <laughs> argument that he puts forth but I think it's also important to note that there are still challenges that um black women face when you know regarding interracial dating because the idea of having to constantly hold discussions about blackness and black culture with a partner that doesn't have that same heritage or understanding or background, I think can be extremely taxing for people. And they don't wanna do that, to have to explain why you wear a bonnet on your head, to have to explain all of these things that to somebody else in your own race, community, ethnicity, just they understand because the people around them for their entire life growing up have done those same things, you know, have done those same practices. Why does it take eight hours to get your hair braided? Can I feel your hair? All of those things that you're like, I don't want to have to explain my existence to you. And that's not saying that interracial relationships don't work. I just think that there is an added layer of patience and understanding and communication that has to go into wanting to see where the other person is coming from and actually wanting to understand the other person's ethnic and racial identity. And another thing that might cause a lot of hesitation for a black woman is also this idea, like we go back to saying, not interested in being fetishized. The media, society, everything has really placed black woman as this like hypersexualized, overly promiscuous individual. And so when you're pursuing relationships outside of your race, it's sometimes hard to detect the difference. Like, are you pursuing me for the right reasons? And, you know, sometimes you end up finding out after that's not the case. Right. And it's hard. And I think one of the questions I asked yesterday, I was like, it's like, I wonder, like, how do you know fetishization versus like just passion, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think she brought up a really great stance and like, well, looking at their dating preference, like look at yeah. their dating history, who have they been with? Like, um, and, and also like in addition to that, it's like, do when they talk to you, do they really try to get to know you? Do they know anything about you? Like, I think a lot of the times, especially like when we're, you know, a lot younger, when we get into relationships, I don't know if there's a lot of research that we do on our partners to kind of get to know who they are. And I don't, I, I sometimes think it's like, and now like we're kind of like moving into the like our point of view and our personal experience. But like when I think of my younger self, and how I engaged in in dating um, 
there would be like very little consideration of like what those person's like qualities were and more about like ooh are they cute like oh they're giving me attention like and so i think like if you kind of can move back move away or kind of step away from the superficial surface level um i guess like stuff <laughs> yeah you you will be able to see whether or not they're even a good match for you and i think it's also kind of like trying to understand yourself knowing what you want knowing what your desires are knowing what your needs are and once you know what that is you kind of have a foundation to move from to try to find people who have common interests as you do so i i, I think like as you get older that's something that like becomes more apparent but I think especially with younger people it takes some time to get to that point of being like do I even like this person like mm -hmm. do do we even have the same interests I think like if you can kind of answer those questions and it's not just like oh like this is just a warm body for me to sit next to mm -hmm. you know like but even figure that out. goes into population size and preference because think of it like this if you're going to a PWI and you're a black woman right it's like they're slim pickings as is for the people who are actually even checking for you. Yes. So you having those <laughs> no no seriously. No, it's so absolutely it's girl is so those, true. You know, those very yeah. genuine, very necessary kind of like that self But it's not like you're in a position to even like, be privileged to yeah, ask those kind of those questions. Exactly. All of those questions you should be asking, all of those things that you should really be like trying to identify kind of sometimes go out the window because you're like, mm. look. I am just looking for a warm body. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, honestly, ain't nobody checking for me. So like, he kind of cute or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I mean, and I'm not saying this, like, oh, people do this. I'm saying shit, myself included. Like, yeah. there have been times when nobody was checking for me and some people like, hey, dude. And I'm like, eh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> So it's like, yes, you should be having this dialogue. You should be having these conversations mm -hmm. and asking yourself this to know that you are being valued and loved in your relationship. But sometimes- But ain't nobody judging you if you didn't even have the privilege to do so. Exactly. There we go. Thank you. That's a good way of something. Right. The privilege to do. But this is the thing. Well, okay. Well, and then I'm going to push back on that because when I think of I honestly feel this way. Even in the school that Dej and I went to when we were in college, we were literally in the middle of nowhere. We yeah. had no options, y'all. Like, it was literally like you... People are, are going to listen to this and be like, what are you guys talking about? Like, the, we went to a school where it's like, we we knew all the 10 Black people at our school. I'm exaggerating. There was a little bit more than 10. It was like 30. But, yeah. But it's like the fact that like we literally knew everyone because it was a, such a small pool of people. And it was like, girl, like if anybody looked my way, I'd be like, oh my goodness, somebody's looking at me. Somebody yeah. sees me or knows that I exist, like in a romantic way. You know, we had like good friends. We we made really like platonic relationships were not really a, a big deal. But I honestly, if we, I would not be surprised if we interviewed like a, a like a you know took like a survey of the black women we went to college with oh yeah i think they would share the sentiment of of feeling a little bit invisible at that kind of campus which is probably a reflection of a lot of campuses that have similar dynamics regarding race and gender um and so absolutely 
yeah, it's like we didn't really have a lot of options. But if I had enough knowledge to to know mm-hmm. um, and be aware of maybe those circumstances, because at the time I wasn't reading the situation in a way where it's like, oh, I'm being ignored because literally X Y Z. Yeah, I was just like, I, yeah, literally, like, I just oh, believe like, shit. yeah, <laughs> like, damn, like, and, and it's, I didn't and know it's, that. <laughs> 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 but it's so true that like you really you just accept this, it as as fact yeah. and I think if I kind of had enough insight to kind of step out of that that age Maya would have been the type of person in college to mm-hmm. be on every fucking DC or New York trip every <laughs> weekend <laughs> to be out here going to Philly to, to you know not trip over the little shitty you know or to, like put up with the bullshit I think that's yes. something that's super important because like had I power known, of saying no to like, yes those yes situations. the power of saying no yeah. you know what I mean because like had I known then what I know now, and everybody says this so, like, right whatever, I'm saying 2020 but had I known <laughs> then what I know now I honestly and this is no shade to anybody from college but heavy but I would have made different choices (laughs) I would have made historically like the type of people that like approach me now like I'm not trying to toot my horn it's just like no it's different settle it's it's, yeah because you're looking at these people in college and you're like was I okay yeah like I wasn't okay you were not and also Um, I'm not gonna lie Ida I'm like thinking about it now and I'm like my friends did me dirty because nobody really sat me down was like Deja but maybe but that's the thing, and it makes me question too, because I'm like, girl, like I think we all believed that that was the, the case. Yeah, yeah, like that's even sad. no, it is sad, but I do think like, you know, we lived in that space for so long that it's like, you know, the people who even benefited from being in those spaces, I'm pretty sure they felt entitled to those privileges, like the, or whatever, like romantically the attention that they were getting, yeah, without really knowing that it's because they're white passing people. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, even the white passing, those who are kind of like racially ambiguous, I think there was a certain privilege to the dating pool that they could maneuver very easily, you know, and also yeah. I think another ad, and we are totally going off topic but (laughs) it's relevant relevant. I mean it is because you think about it like this and you're like look I wasn't thinking like oh okay let me put my interracial dating goggles on and see Mm -hmm. who's checking for me it was more so like if this person looks at me and I'm not busy and they're not busy eh, what is there to lose but exactly and now I'm like oh that's so there was so much to lose. My there, dignity. There was One so of much. <laughs> also, think about the same thing that um, the Stanford professor said. You know, Ralph Richard Banks was like, "Look, if you're talking population statistics, if there's a very small population of you and a very large population of other people, and nobody's checking for you, that means that the people you choose to engage in relationships with can essentially treat you any type of way, right. and they Absolutely. still know they can because you do not have options. So you right. will choose to stick beside them." Yeah. Even if you don't want to, even if what their actions hurt you, mm-hmm. even if your friends or whoever is telling you like, this isn't right, mm-hmm. you honestly are thinking and you, or you've at least convinced yourself that it's like, well, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that it was uh, triggering this week's episode. <laughs> it definitely like made me reevaluate like and give give language to the experiences that like I had. And I think the same for Deja as well. Yeah. Like it's kind of things that you kind of knew, like you, you your intuition, you, you just didn't have the language. And um, 
I, I just also wanted to add, like, you know, we, we did kind of touch briefly on our own personal experiences. And um, I think currently I feel like how personally, like how I choose to move forward with interracial dating, I think that when I was a younger person, um, I didn't feel I had an option to even date uh, based off of my preference. And so I did engage in interracial dating, especially like in um, college, because it was like what was available to me. And when I think of like the black men I went to college with, maybe I was, my head, you know, was in the clouds where like, I did not get approached by black men the way that I would be approached by men who were not black at my university. And um, now that I'm not in school, I've been removed now, I don't know, five, six years since we were in undergrad. I feel that like, I have personally enjoyed being able to have more men that you know I date within my race who show me respect who show me like kindness who kind of give me the type of TLC that I was not receiving when I was in college Mm -hmm. but that is not to say that like personally I would not I would never date outside of my race again it's just um I don't know and I and I would when I think of this research as well like it was uh, this book that um, the professor wrote. Um, it came out in 2011. And one thing to take into consideration is like at that time, like Black Lives Matters and all of the kind of politics that we yeah. experienced over the past decade now um, wasn't as prevalent as the time when this, this literature came out. And I personally don't know if I feel 100% comfortable today dating like white men or white passing men um, because we live in very polarizing times and that might change in the future but the moment like it's not like something that I'm like running towards and so moving forward I generally just plan on engaging with people who I find really care and respect me and I can kind of give that same love and care and respect Mm -hmm. but also um it's it's not like I'm gonna just limit myself to a black man even if he disrespects me or even if he tries to like I don't know whatever like you know city situation may occur like I I choose to move forward and like choose my relationships based off of um, the stability, health, quality, and love I'm receiving from those individuals rather than like, oh, I just want to date Black man, period. Like, it doesn't kind of end at that point. So we'll see in the future. But like right now, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm enjoying my dating life right now is way better than when I was in college so like I'm happy with where it is I'm not like ready to kind of like push the boundaries of interracial dating because I don't feel like in my youth I even gave like dating within my race and I didn't have the opportunity to even explore that as much as I as I do today so yeah that's just, my two cents I wonder like if do you think that the population of people who are checking for you now Mm-hmm. is the same amongst your race and outside of your race is there a population like do black men more than I get approached by black men way more now than I did my whole entire life 
Oh, wow. uh, okay, maybe that's not true. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think it is kind of true because, like, even oh, in no, high no. school, like, I didn't go to high school. It was not like exactly like Bucknell. It was like the majority of people when I was in high school were Asian and Latino, and mm-hmm. so it was kind of a still very small population of Black people. Like, we all knew all the Black people still at my high school, and I did have like more. I guess like black men approach me when I was a teenager but it wasn't like I was actively dating like that because I was literally a teenager and then when I went to college it was like that was exacerbated by going to a predominantly white institution and those experiences like even pulled me further away from you know being able to date like black men because to be honest a lot of PWIs like the black men who do go there I don't think a lot of them I think like a lot of them by default end up dating interracially and like end up dating outside of their race. So from from the experience that I had. So um, like after college, being able to like move to a city and not be in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, um, that definitely opened me up to kind of see the many different types of black men that exist the different types of people and the range and diversity of thought that exist in Black men that exist in the diaspora of Black people. Yeah. And so I feel like um, my location definitely pushed me in that, in that direction to, and like kind of the circumstances changed. Like I, I wasn't in the same place. I was, especially when I used to live in Oakland, it's a place where it's like, there's a lot of Black people in Oakland, you know, like, I I think like that experience really allowed me to kind of expand my dating pool and to see how um, I'm I might be preference within the black community in some areas that I was not preferenced in a predominantly white community, you know. So. No, that makes sense. I mean, I resonate with the idea of not even knowing that you could have like that you can make these choices like that you could have preferences and that they the preferences that you have could be honored you know mm-hmm. when people are like, oh what's your ideal relationship or what's your ideal partner and I was like someone who's nice and they're like yeah <laughs> like, like yeah, the bar I'm, solo it's like I just want somebody who's like clean well. who showers yeah yeah I was like yeah just like basic hygiene and someone who's nice and they're like okay but like what about looks and height and this and that and I'm like um yeah, I'm just going to stick with someone who's nice. (laughs) Like I honestly, and it's so sad, like looking back, poor baby Dej, but like looking back, I'm like, I didn't think that I had options. And Mm. people might be listening to this and be like, Dej, you're so stupid. Like people were checking for you or maybe I was just blind to it or maybe I internalized it so bad. But it's like, come on, like, why are you internalizing it? It's like your environment is is speaking to you and it's sending telling you signals. Exactly. It's reinforcing these things. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to internalize something that's proving that you're like, that is being proven wrong. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, and I mean, I share the same sentiment with you. Like I went to a predominantly white high school. I went to a predominantly white college. I think the first like extremely diverse educational experience I had was in grad school going to NYU, mm. <laughs> you know, but, and like, the makeup of the people in my grad, like in my grad program was not extremely diverse, but I mean, going to school in New York city, that doesn't really matter anymore. But like mm-hmm. if you're going to a school in a very small town in Pennsylvania, 
you don't have a town that you can leave. Yeah, you can't just go on a bumble and find exactly. the brothers in the middle of the farm. Of well, Minnesota. that's just dangerous. Right. And I'm like, like, speaking, like, <laughs> funny. like, I'm serious. Like, you couldn't do that be- because of where we were in Pennsylvania mm. because it was legitimately dangerous as right. a person of color. There were to- Confederate flags like every yeah, other like, block. Dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also like, we got to mention self-preservation too. Like, right. <laughs> like no but seriously yeah yeah it's just the idea it's like oh dating can be life-threatening depending on (laughs) dating can be dangerous i mean it can be dangerous even if you're honestly not in the middle of nowhere if you're in a very rural conservative town like people still like get into shitty situation online dating will be be a a future yeah yeah a future topic online dating because i'm terrified like oh every day one too many episodes of criminal minds and csi and law and order Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh absolutely not no, I will yeah. be the girl that ends up in my suitcase. Absolutely not. <laughs> like, I'm just, no, no, thank you. I will stay single forever. Um, no, no, no. But I mean, in terms of like how my personal experience connects to the topic, I mean, I'm not in an interracial relationship right now, but I've definitely been in interracial, you know, situationships. Mm. And I think that there's definitely something to be said about the aspect of teaching that's not always the most sexy or the most fun, you know, like, why do you wear a headscarf at night? Why do you do certain things? Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I think it gets to a point where I just chose not to have the conversation anymore because I was exhausted. And I mean, that's not to say that interracial relationships with those who choose to take on, you know, that mutual learning and teaching experience um, and teach one another cannot be successful because they absolutely can. I just think for myself, I was tired. And so I was like, I'm just not going to do this anymore. Um, But like I said, I've also been predominantly in, I've also been in predominantly white spaces. So that was just a lot of teaching that, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Yeah. Like who else is going to fucking talk to me? Yeah. And also, you know, with the entire piece on fed fetishization I don't know why I cannot say that word but when I was younger I sometimes felt that when I was with people outside my race it was more for their benefit than mine Mm -hmm. you know like due to that hypersexualization of black women and like increased perception of promiscuity it was honestly difficult at times to discern is this person with me because they like genuinely like certain aspects of me and you know they vibe with my personality and they they think that I'm like a a nice person that they want to spend time with and be around and care for me or is it just some like weird fetish fetishization bullshit conquest type nonsense you know like Mm -hmm. that's a thing like people really court you for months and then sleep with you and be like peace um and so it just, I don't know. I think it was just weird. I really thought that like the interracial situation that I was in when I was younger were more so for their benefit than mine, truthfully, truthfully. Yeah. Um, but in terms of my kind of current stance on the topic and like, you know, I agree, you know, with you, Ida. I think that the events, not even just Black Lives Matter in general in the past decade, but even the events that occurred last spring, you know, mm-hmm. the onset of the, yeah. the death of George Floyd triggered a worldwide conversation about, you know, racism, police brutality, white supremacy, the whole idea of being passively non-racist and actively anti-racist and all of these extremely major talking points that started happening that were not happening before, conversations that were not happening before. And it really did provide an opportunity for a lot of individuals to have difficult conversations with themselves, their 
family, their partners. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, I truly believe that it may have been the catalyst for some interracial couples, specifically Black individuals dating another race to have hard conversations about oh, yeah. in this country, you know, and the severity of the impact on their livelihood. And I'm not, that's not to say that, you know, the individual spouse did not understand the gravity prior to this onset, but with the death of George Floyd, Tiana Taylor, and so many others last spring really being brought to the forefront and being so visible in the mm-hmm. media, like seeing the video of this poor man losing his life, I think it, showed a lot of people not just people in interracial relationships but just everybody how unjust our society actually is and even now with the horrific crimes taking place against the asian community and oh, I know. The, the depiction in the media and this increased awareness of what's going on i'm sure people in interracial relationships with aapi individuals are having deeper conversations about race now than they were before yeah no absolutely and i would even say like the positive i guess like side of the same i guess change or phenomenon is like it could be the case that it has encouraged more people to kind of like date like within their group like to kind of preserve their heritage like to have more pride in in their racial heritage or ethnic background Mm -hmm. um and i'm like maybe that's why there are more black men approaching me too because it's like that was just not the case (laughs) right but um no yeah i 100 percent like i think like you don't know like the t- like especially like living in the united states of america y'all like the you can have like a closeted like kkk fanatic or like like somebody who's like a huge fan of donald trump who who also like fetishizes and dreams of fucking like a black person mm-hmm. and it is scary the idea of, of dating a closeted racist because it happens to people more often than you think mm-hmm. and um you just don't know like you don't know unless you really get to know a person and sometimes to protect yourself you don't even want to try to get to know like white people exactly. with and all the stuff that's been going on i don't even think it has to be these like confederate flag waving it's yeah even on the most you know, subtle level subtle kind Mm -hmm. of scary stuff that they will let slide and I don't know why this was even a thing but I saw videos you know during the spring and summer when all of this was really popping off of these white men who were like proud boys and extreme supporters of like the you know Trump and KKK and all of this stuff in relationships with black women having children with black woman and justifying it it's like well you know she's not like the other blacks or like they're not like the other blacks and I'm like oh god Mm. you know it just uh, it's weird it's really weird so can you blame minorities and other races to want to be with people from their own ethnic background and race because it's scary like it's literally very scary because if this person who you've married and chosen to procreate with thinks like this what are the holidays like yeah you see what I'm saying and it's like maybe I'm oversimplifying it I don't know but I think about that and I'm like you are putting yourself in extremely dangerous position and even if you agree with the sentiment of like oh well I'm not like other black people I'm like then that says a lot more about you than it says about them yeah 100 percent 
absolutely and it's yeah like you try not win the favoritism of like a white person like or the falling. people who are oppressing you you know yeah. what I mean? like, ooh, right? it's really Why? weird I don't know but like I mean honestly in the future you know like how do I knowing what I know now from the research and just being grown now in terms of moving forward honestly I think I just need to be more vocal and open when in interracial relationships situationships honestly even friendships because Mm -hmm. I I'll personally say like I have let a lot of harmful shit slide for the sake of wanting things to stay copacetic and yeah I'm to not, not be problematic or exactly, cause drama exactly to not be the problematic black girl to not be the loud or oh Deja's such a bitch or like why she gotta ruin the vibe you know mm-hmm. I have done that I've done that and I mean that goes back to like one of our first episodes but um even in interracial situations I'm sure I've let things slide or comments or whatever that I'm not doing anymore you know I, I think it's just not, I, I'm, I'm trying and I'm working on being kinder to myself, you know, mm-hmm. and being kinder to myself. I think that also means valuing myself to a standard where if that means that I need to be alone for the next whatever years, because nobody is coming correct on my level, then so be it. Um, mm. But yeah, <laughs> I also think that like being in an interracial relationship obviously has challenges, but like all relationships do. Yes, mm-hmm. the added complexity of race matters. So not wanting, or sorry, not wanting, not waiting for pivotal moments to have those conversations, like the Black Lives Matter movement and like waiting to see um, all of the hate crimes that are happening towards the Asian community. Waiting to see that on the media and then having these conversations, I don't think is right. And moving forward, I feel like we need to be having these conversations before this harmful stuff in the media happens. Because Mm. when you, in these conversations, like, what I'm trying to say is essentially do not wait for pivotal moments to have those conversations. Oh yeah. Do I not be re- reactionary. Exactly. I want proactive conversations. Yeah. Like in constantly like checking in, seeing like where you are and where your partner is on whatever exactly. like points of interest, conflict, whatever is necessary to preserve your well-being. Exactly. Yeah. Even before but, you like get romantically involved, like when you're yeah, just kind of like, like Dating talking as friends like yeah like yes. when you're just like i'm testing the waters first date second date i'm so serious and if people are thrown off by that if you're asking very real conversation or like questions about things that matter to you and this person is thrown off by that that's not the person for you no keep, if, if i wish i knew that also as a younger person like if you are if you are under 25 and you are listening to this and you got to this <laughs> part of the episode please do not feel that you are too much for asking hard-hitting questions when you are dating and out there like you know really trying to put yourself and be vulnerable with people because if you don't do that early on in in dating or when you're in a relationship it's going to come up later when you're too deep and you're going to feel trapped stuck alone isolated exactly somebody to save you exactly and that's what I mean like don't wait for these pivotal moments to have these conversations like having them before shit pops off mm. is what needs to be happening so that when shit is popping off you don't have to be educating your partner about your trauma and the ways in which what's happening is wrong you know just yeah you just want them to be there for you and you and you want them to know what the fuck is up and not have to like be like oh I don't know how to deal with this or it's not something that I like feel like I have to intervene in like 
or whatever like petty bullshit like, exactly exactly if you don't want that in your life you could cut them out earlier basically is what we're trying to say or just you can like find a way to like yeah. work with them if if you really care and love them and all that at the end of the day nobody wants to be teaching race relations in a traumatized state like mm-hmm. and i feel like that's what a lot of the black community felt like this past summer when black lives matter movement was happening and everyone was like Mm. teach me show me and i'm like i am just trying to get the willpower to leave my bed Mm. and log on to this zoom meeting so you're gonna need to educate you can go on youtube and you can look up whatever questions you have and teach yourself there are so many books so many books but um no excuse i digress (laughs) but i think that's important i think it's important like you said i did to have these conversations early and mm-hmm. if you think that, oh, well, you know, I'm being too much, because I've been told that before, like, oh, you want too much, you're asking for too much, you too much. And I used to be like, okay, I need to make myself small. I need to contort mm-hmm. myself. I need to stop asking these questions. And that's how you get into relationships that don't serve you. Or get into like, yeah, yeah emotionally abusive situations where you're being gaslit. Definitely the conversation. <laughs> i mean girl it's like all of us and i mean it applies to like any topic even if it's not about like you know even if you're not dating somebody who is not of the same racial background like if you're with a partner who like has the same background as you whatever concerns or yes you want to discuss or feel that are very important to you you introduce that in conversation early on so you let them know this is who I am. These are the things that are important to me. Um, I want to know like where are you aligned on these topics. Period. Mm-hmm. It has. It, it, it's not limited to dating outside of your race, you guys. Yeah. So I think that's an important point to make. N- no, yeah. It's it it just across the board have that the d- discussion about you know it could be about finances. It could be about. Um, celibacy religion all of those things like whatever you feel is like a huge point of conflict potentially or something that you carry that's very important and heavy to you and your your background your culture bring that to the table so that way you're not going to date somebody who's going to be surprised three to four months down the line when it becomes relevant or Mm -hmm. you know for whatever reason it becomes relevant no, I think that's honestly the perfect point to end on. Like, yes, this entire episode is really talking about interracial dating and the pros and the cons and all the complexities that go with it. But all of these things are not like all of the kind of solutions and moving forward. That does not only apply to interracial dating. Like I just mm. said, you know, the things that matter to you, the things that are important to you that you hold close to your heart, even if you're in a relationship with somebody of the same race, those need to be expressed, said, stated, and upheld nobody 100%. is gonna uphold those things except you you know 100 100 100 yeah but um yeah that's pretty much the show oh my goodness <laughs> thank you guys so much for attending in this week. um thank you for dissecting the concept of interracial dating with us tonight if you have any topics that you want us to tackle or you want to potentially be on an episode of sad girl sunday please dm us on instagram we want to allow people to share their stories and their truth on our show absolutely and as always you y'all know you can listen to this episode and more on spotify anchor apple podcast google podcast the list continues anywhere you can listen to a podcast you can find this episode 
And as we always say at the end, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. The handle is at sadgirlsunday underscore spelt S-A-D-G-R-L-S-U-N-D-A-Y underscore. Yep, yep. Thank you guys so much and have a great night. Thank you.